Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. We're going to talk about one of my favorite things to do and to talk about and hear more about, and that's sleep. And I'm super excited and honored to have with me Dr. Valerie Cajo, all the way from California, to join us and talk about her immense knowledge and work within sleep. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Clarissa. So happy to be here with you today. I know. Just want to tell my audience a little bit about you because you're an integrative sleep medicine specialist, you're a wellness consultant and author, but you're also very much focused on perimenopausal and menopausal sleep. Am I right? Yeah. So I, my day job, I would say, is a medical sleep doctor. I have my own practice for folks who live in the state of Hawaii and California. I'm actually born and raised in California, but I moved to Hawaii for about seven years about. And, you know, uh, I just had a really busy hospital practice. And then when the pandemic hit, I also had two young kids. It just made it a little bit hard to work that busy. So I decided to shift to my own private practice. And then we decided to move back to California. So in my medical practice, I do a lot of telehealth or telesleep, where we talk certainly a lot about sleep apnea, snoring, insomnia. But really, when I was at my hospital practice, what I saw was a lot of women in midlife, 40s and above, who were coming to see me. You know, their doc wanted to see if they had sleep apnea. But, you know, the, the studies weren't always positive for sleep apnea. And they just really had a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. And then I sort of dug down deeper into the causes and 40 to 60% of women going through perimenopause and menopause had a difficulty time sleeping. And their primary mm-hmm. care docs, their GPs, their OB-GYNs, their gynecologists sort of just gave them a pill, maybe sent them to a therapist um, and called it a day. And I knew that, you know, this is a population that could use a little bit more TLC, uh, tender loving care. And with my background in integrative medicine, so what that is, is incorporating all of the different healing modalities that we didn't learn about in med school. So like Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, energy medicine. One of my favorite is mind-body medicine, teaching people how the mind and the body interact and using those as extra tools to help women sleep. But it's really been such a phenomenal journey. And I've just seen a lot of excellent um, positive outcomes from some of my women patients. So it's amazing. And just to share that with the world through different podcasts. Yeah, and I love that so much because I think there is definitely one side, you know, give someone a pill and send them away. But I I know that an integrative side can really give people a different ability to sleep, stay asleep. and, And it's very, very important for our health, isn't it? Yeah, so much so. 
Yeah. So one of my questions I would want to say is, I mean, we really start to notice sleep problems in perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Why is that happening, Val? Yeah. And so the model I take being integrative and holistic is the whole mind, body, and soul approach. And maybe we can start with the body, right? Because as yeah. we're getting older, there are changes, right? Basically, when we go through perimenopause and menopause, our body decides to times up. We don't need to have babies anymore. So we become less fertile. And what does that look like? Well, we have lower rates of estrogen and progesterone. Lower rates of estrogen or abrupt the decline in estrogen can lead to a whole host of symptoms, hot flashes, big one, um, night sweats. And so I think if you have a night sweat, you know why your sleep is disrupted because those are a little bit hard to ignore. Sometimes women have to change their clothes, change their bed sheets because they're soaking wet. Um, and along with you know the change in hormones, specifically progesterone, progesterone is known as sort of a resting hormone, a chill hormone. Um, it actually works on the GABA system, which is the same system that helps promote sleep. Um, Also the same system that um, some of the sleeping pills work on. So when we have lower rates of progesterone, lower rates of estrogen, that in and of itself can lead to sleep disturbances. Another thing that I mentioned what I do in my medical sleep practice is look at a lot of sleep apnea. And so obstructive sleep apnea is a condition where the muscles of the upper airway, typically it's the tongue, it falls back and chokes you at night. And so your brain doesn't like this. And what it does, it tells you to wake up and breathe. And when you get older, right, age can cause, you know, changes in the musculature where there's not, they're not as strong, Mm -hmm. but also hormonal changes. We see double to triple the rates of sleep apnea as someone post-menopause as someone pre-menopause. So the hormones can go beyond our emotional state, can go beyond the hot (laughs) flashes. It's physically changing our muscles that can cause that. So those are some of the physical reasons. The mind is really important yeah. beyond anxiety and depression, which we know women have higher rates of this as they go through perimenopause <laughs> because of the fluctuations in the hormones, probably. But sometimes yes. when I think of perimenopause and menopause, it really just magnifies maybe issues that you have had before. You know, maybe you were feeling a little bit unwell, you know, and you just sort of got by with your mood. But when the hormone changes, things really seem to amplify. And that can certainly play a role in your sleep. We know that mental health and sleep go hand in hand. There's a bi-directional relationship. So if you have anxiety that's uncontrolled, it can keep you from falling asleep or staying asleep. But also if you get poor sleep, sometimes your mood is one of the first things to go. And I think that's for me personally, I find myself a lot more irritable when I don't get an adequate amount of sleep. And then moving on to the soul part, you know, as women get older, you know, maybe we've been in the same career for 20, 30 plus years and you start to think what else is out there, right? You start to think of, is this this all that life has for me? Sometimes we start to think of, you know, am I going to retire? Should I start the new business? Should I start a podcast? And you start to think about your next phase of life. And sometimes that can keep you up, especially in your space where, you don't really like your day-to-day. Or maybe you do and it's just not as satisfying as it used to be. And so that's, I think, where the soul part comes in. And really taking a look at all of the combination because sometimes, I mean, honestly, it can be more than one. Yeah, I really like that holistic approach because what what we're talking about, Hill Mm -hmm. Val, is is I think often women think, oh, Mm. I'll have hormone therapy, I won't have another hot flash and it'll be fine. But as you've said, 
the emotional and spiritual soul dimensions are just as important. And I think that's that's Mm -hmm. so important to bring out. And I'm really glad you mentioned progesterone because I think Mm -hmm. in this wider perimenopause, Mm. menopause conversation, there's a big emphasis on estrogen, but we forget how vital progesterone is for that calming the lab and I hook you up with the EEG yeah. looking at the brain waves. It's really how fast or how slow the brain waves are firing. Yeah. And so, you know, just like yeah. nutrition and eating, you know, what are the foods that are healthy yeah. or nourishing for my body? Think of your sleep are, you know, what are the thoughts, behaviors, emotions that I need to have that help make me calm, that help slow down my brain waves? Because then that will result in sleep. awakenings that can happen throughout the night, depending on how long you've already been sleeping, and how many sleep cycles you've gone through. So there's four stages, one, two, three, and then REM. And typically, we cycle through these stages every 90 minutes. And if you've already had, you know, two to three to four sleep cycles, you wake up, you have to use the restroom, it may be a little bit harder to go back to sleep. And so for a lot of women, you know, one of their biggest concerns are those middle-of-night awakening. Because, you know, I sort of felt like, in the U.S., at least, we've been trained that, you know, you're supposed to sleep seven to nine hours straight. If you wake up in the middle of the night, maybe there's something wrong with you. I have a good friend who's a psychiatrist and a sleep doctor, and she's an integrative doctor, but she, her roots are in India. And she says that in India, if you wake up, you know, between the quiet hours, the three to four or five a.m., it's actually the time where if you do your meditation, it's the sacred hour, right? I feel like in Western countries, you wake up and you're getting really upset that you're awake. And then you start to think, oh man, I only have how many more hours until I have to wake up and I have to do X, Y, and Z tomorrow. And my day is going to be ruined because I'm not asleep and I need energy. And I just read this article. You don't get enough sleep. It's going to cause my dementia. And so it's a lot of the things that you're feeding your brain. And if you can do a breathing exercise, maybe listen to soft music, you know, turn on an app where, you know, can guide you back to sleep. I think it's a lot more beneficial than worrying. Yeah. If you have that negative energy to associate with being in bed, that it's going to be harder to fall asleep. So just changing your state, going to a different room, and then coming back when you're tired. Or reading sleep apnea is a disorder, isn't it? Quite a significant disorder. How common is that among women? 20 to 30% so men, but it also is age-related. Um, and then based on your body mass index. So, right, if you think of obstructive sleep apnea, like a room that you're in, right? Yeah. You know, and at night the walls are collapsing, the older the room is, right? You know, if it's a wood, <laughs> it's not as strong. And so that's just part of, you know, father time, mother nature. Um, convention, <laughs> hormone changes can yeah. certainly play a role as we're in postmenopause, higher rates. Um, having smaller chins and jaws, what that means is that, that your airway is smaller to begin with. And so I'm sure we've all seen people uh-huh. whose jaws are pushed in. I really have a hard time talking like that because everything is smushed together. Having large tongues can also play yeah. a role. And then other things, <laughs> you know, alcohol. Alcohol yes. makes the airway more floppy. If you're on a pain medication, a muscle relaxant, a sleeping pill, that certainly can make it worse. If you got a cold, right, you have a hard time getting air into your nose. That can make mm-hmm. it harder to breathe at night. And then body position. So, you know, sleeping on your back is probably one of the worst positions for breathing because gravity's pulling the tongue back. But it's a really good position for your spine. So if you do, um, you know, feel like you're snoring a bit, maybe get a wedge pillow, prop yourself up or sleep on your side. So those are some risk factors. And the thing about, at least in the U.S., some of the research shows that 90% of women or maybe even greater have sleep apnea that's undiagnosed. 
because a lot of the physicians and you know care providers see a woman who's tired and check their thyroid and then say, oh, you're depressed, yes. go see a therapist or take this pill. Versus a man will come in, you know, some symptoms of tired, maybe overweight, and get sent for a sleep study. So obstructive sleep apnea, you know, there's a lot of gender bias in medicine, but really for this as well, you know, some of the thoughts are, you know, I don't snore like a man. And they actually did a study where they took women in the lab, but men as well. And they found that a third of the women who did snore didn't think that they snore. Um, and they also didn't think that they snored as loud as men. But when they actually compared the decibel, it was actually the same. So it's really interesting, but I think it's just maybe how um, it's portrayed. <laughs> um, maybe in yeah, movies and you typically it's the male who's snoring. Yeah, we can do it. <laughs> Indeed, Val. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, there's one route, which is obviously as you talked about, the medicine help you to sleep. Medication like that. People. The way I like to, you know, have this conversation is that sleeping pills similar to pain medications you know do have their time in place you know you fall and you break your arm it's really painful so we're going to give you the medication we're going to give you this bring it to surgery to fix the bone um similar similar to sleeping pills right you know if you've lost a loved one in your yes. family and you've had a you know very stressful event it can be helpful the problem with sleeping pills just like the problem with pain medications is sometimes it can be really addicting um, and they can have a lot of side effects, you know, I, and more so in women, it, it's really interesting. In the US, mm. Zolpidem is a medication, and it was the first medication that actually had a, a gender um, dosage decrease. And so for women, they need to take a lower dose because the higher doses were associated with more issues, <sighs> some of which include complex sleep behaviors. So it puts you in a deep sleep, but do things that you normally would do, like go to the bathroom. I've had people cook. I've had people, one lady actually, went to the local 7-Eleven, bought an energy drink, drove, and came back home, had no recollection, had no idea how she paid for it. So it's quite scary. And more so than that is, you know, it can be associated with an increased risk for dementia. And that's something a lot of people are already worried about. Yeah. So, I I mean, I Mm -hmm. think it's, you're right. Like a lot of medication, it has a purpose, but it certainly isn't yeah. something we should yeah. be having as the norm in order to sleep. Yeah. So what are some of the more holistic ways, Val, to As a medical doctor, I'm always going to go down to, okay, why can't you sleep? And, you know, if you take a look at the two different routes, right, are you having a hard time falling asleep or are you having a hard time staying asleep? So if you're having a hard time falling asleep, Now, common reasons for that is you may just be going to sleep too early. What do I mean by, you know, as life can go on, sometimes we have shifts in our circadian rhythm. Think of it a little bit like jet lag. And how I know this is my intake usually asks people, okay, what time do you go to bed? How long does it take you to fall asleep? And if I see people going to bed during the work week, nine or 10, taking them two to three hours to fall asleep. And on the weekends, they don't go to bed until midnight to one, you know, and they can fall asleep pretty fast. Then you sort of know, right? You're thinking that you should be in bed by 9 or 10 because you got to wake up at 6, right? Commute to your job. (laughs) And on the weekends, you just, you know, stay up later because you're not, your internal clock is actually more aligned. So I always encourage, you know, my patients to figure out when do you feel tired? If you're not tired around 9 or 10, then don't go to bed. So I would say that's, you know, that's almost an easy fix. The other one, if you have a hard time following this, it can be a little bit more tricky. It's um, mind racing. And so that happens to a lot of us, right? And a good analogy I have is, you know, if you're going to go work out at the gym, 
are you going to go start, you know, lifting the heaviest weight? Or do you hop on the treadmill or do some jumping jacks first to warm up your muscles, right? Same thing as sleep. I don't know why or where this came from. It's almost like you go throughout your day, you go to work, you go home, you cook dinner, you spend time with your family, you know, maybe, you know, watch a show, read. And then when your head hits the pillow, I think the thought is I should be asleep. And so if you think about, right, your brain, you want your brain waves to slow down. So one of my biggest tips for women is really, can you schedule the last hour of the day for yourself to have that self-care time to really wind down, right? You know, so you're not automatically, you know, shifting down to low gear because it doesn't work like that. I mean, I think some people can who are, you know, serious meditators can get themselves into a meditative state really fast. But I'd say for the most of us, right, you know, it's better to slow down, right? (laughs) Put it into low gear before you turn it into neutral and then off, right? (laughs) <laughs> so that's if you have a hard time falling asleep. And then if you yeah. have a hard time in terms of, okay, do we need to do a sleep study to rule out sleep apnea? Um, and other things, sometimes you can have movement disorders, you know, people who kick their legs at night. Do you have pain that's keeping you from staying in the same position too long? You know, a lot of women are intermittent fasting. And so what time did you eat last? Are you waking up because your blood sugar is going low, and, but you're not really uh, feeling hungry, yes. but your brain is just like telling you, okay, you got to wake up. Another thing is, you know, having to urinate, you know, we drink a lot of water or, you know, we stop drinking water, but then, you know, age-related changes to our our urethra can cause us to wake up to urinate. So there's a whole host of reasons. And then the other part, too, is our stress, right? You know, stress can keep you from... So I like to sort of help women dial down into, okay, what's the true cause? Can we figure it out? And then from there, you have specific recommendations, right? If you have sleep apnea, get that treated. If you're fasting too much, you know, have a little bit of a snack before you eat. Yeah. Is it your caffeine intake? Is it your yeah. alcohol intake? So a, a visit with me could yes. take a little bit of time to try to figure this all out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Sort of detective mm-hmm. to work out people's habits, yeah. behaviors, and what's going on in their lives as well, I suppose. Well, because, you know, if we have something mm-hmm. upsetting or stressful going on in our life then that can obviously come in and impact yeah and I Um, presume you check out things like people's mental health as well because certain things like on the one mm -hmm. hand you might sleep more if you're depressed but I mean my partner's bipolar so I get to know that you know he needs a little bit more help because if he does he finds it hard to go to sleep because his brain is like in it completely different way but obviously those are things aren't they Val I encourage women to focus on what you can control right you know and for some you know thinking about just your breath can we just start focusing on your breath right you know forget the sleep diaries you know forget the medications can we just dial down Mm -hmm. okay can Mm -hmm. I think about my breathing in this moment and then start (laughs) there what sort of role do you think things like yoga acupuncture uh maybe other forms of light exercise between or before bed or even exercising earlier in the day outside where you're getting natural sunlight that's so beneficial for your sleep because the sun light hitting your retina tells your brain it's time to be awake and alert and can actually set your clock for the next day so that's really important getting you know 10 minutes of sunlight in the morning more so if it's a cloudy day it's pretty cloudy right now um, and then yoga. I'm definitely a big fan of yoga. There actually are good research <laughs> studies where they took at women who did yoga. Um, just, you know, at home, you don't necessarily even have to go to a studio oh, yeah. and reported improved quality sleep. 
Um, tai Chi is also really beneficial. So if you think about it, anything that can help slow the mind down, slow the breathing down is going to be beneficial. I would probably suggest to avoid any high intensity workouts too close to bedtime because your body temperature does need to cool down. Um, but some people really enjoy it. You know, the fact yeah. that part of our sleep pressure is adenosine and a breakdown product of adenosine, right? It's like, I'm sorry, a breakdown product of exercise is like adenosine. So yes. it can make you feel tired. So, you know, I would say some people who are a lot at home and yes. they're sedentary, they're sort of behind mm -hmm. a desk all day, you know, get up and walk, right? If all you can do is walk, there's actually, I'm going to write about this <laughs> in my blog this week. And if you can Get up to 10,000 steps a day. Women who did this yeah. over, I think it was like 12 weeks, just reported increased quality yeah. of sleep. And also, it was a small study, but they actually used less sleeping medications. So it's phenomenal. And, you know, I think a lot of people have access to be able to walk. And wow. so I always like to recommend things that you can already do. You don't have to have any fancy equipment. Yeah. Go outside, go for a walk, get some fresh air, practice some breathing yeah. exercises. Yeah. Those are super helpful legs up the wall right you know that just does something to your nervous system to really calm you down and then oh, restorative yeah. yoga there's basically different poses where you're just lying back fully supported and that can help support your sleep your acupressure can also be really helpful and the reason for that is the vagus nerve stimulates the ear and when you stimulate the vagus nerves it can help improve mm -hmm. relaxation so I think the study, typically the studies are in China where, the, you know, acupuncture was born. And so, yeah, just rubbing, you know, the top of your earlobes down can really be relaxing as well. Also yeah. foods. But I think everyone knows someone who can drink, you know, an espresso and go right to bed. <laughs> so I have actually cut all coffee out because I'm so sensitive. <laughs> so I just stick to, yeah, yes. even black teas are too strong. So things can change. I used to drink up to three cups of coffee, you know, when I yeah. was, when my kids were younger, when they were the newborn stage. Um, but yeah, so sensitivities can change. But yeah, avoid caffeine, alcohol. You know, sometimes yes. people drink alcohol to help put them to sleep. It can help you fall asleep faster. But when the products break down, it actually wakes you up and can disrupt your sleep stages. Avoid saturated fats. You know, the animal fats have been associated with more yes. arousal that night. When you take a look at, you know, what the best nutrition is, for your heart and for your brain, it's the same for sleep. And so what it looks like, it's lots of plants, right? High fiber, avoid processed food. Because um, foods with more um, yeah. simple carbohydrates yeah. are actually yes. associated with more arousals at night. And interestingly enough, you know, if you don't get an adequate amount of sleep, we know this from sleep depriving college kids at universities and they've done studies or people who work night shift, you actually crave more simple carbohydrates carbohydrates, right? You have these hormones yeah. called ghrelin. Ghrelin makes you want to eat more. Think of like a gremlin. Leptin makes you feel full. Um, they get flip-flopped, right? Leptin goes down, ghrelin goes up. Yep. So, you know, women going through this stage, you already have lower rates of growth hormone. Maybe you're having difficulty sleeping and your heart having a hard time losing weight. Take a look at your sleep quality and how much sleep you're getting because that may be the culprit why you're craving some of the foods that you are. Yeah, and of course that will be linked to weight. I feel like sleep makes everything better. <laughs> and I'm yeah. such a believer. I know you're a believer. It's when yes. you have a hard night of sleep, right? You know, everything feels worse. <laughs> like you're so achy, you know, you get headache, you just want to lie in bed, your focus, your memory. It takes longer to like write emails. Sometimes I can't even spell simple words. So yeah, 
prioritize sleep, ladies. You'll, your body and your brain will thank you. And I think mm-hmm. that amazing mm-hmm. message, Val, again, that what's good for your heart is good for your brain. That flows through to mm-hmm. things like sleep. I think that's becoming quite a mantra now when we're talking about mm. not just heart health, but we're talking yeah. about dementia. And now we're talking here about sleep. All of these things are, are showing yeah. that the very simple things that we've probably known, like exercise Definitely. and plant-based diets and rest. Like drink water, go outside and play in the sunshine. Eat your fruits and veggies. It's like so simple. Sometimes there's a lot of messaging out there, right, where it scares people. You know, if I'm not getting, you know, seven to nine hours, does that mean I'm going to develop dementia? And, you know, start where you can, right? You know, can you get an extra 15 minutes? Can you get an extra half an hour? And even that, you know, may seem small amount, you may show some benefit. And once you're once you sort of develop that habit, develop that pattern, it'll be easier to extend your sleep time. Absolutely. And there are quite a lot of myths, aren't there, around sleep. I'd love you just to share some of those because they seem to be things people pick up on. You don't don't need as much sleep. And, you know, maybe I wish that was true because, you know, I I feel like Mm. I have a lot going on and, you know, as much as I like sleep, you know, sometimes... Yeah, I'm running two businesses and I feel like, you know, I steal away from sleep to get get some things done. But when you take a look at it, adults still need seven to nine hours. And I would say the unfortunate thing about it is we get less sleep. The reason for that are many, right? As we get older, there are age-related changes um, in our sleep architecture. We actually do, in fact, get less deep sleep. We do get less REM sleep. As we get older, we have more health issues, right? You know, arthritis that can wake you up. You have high blood pressure issues you're on medications that can impact Mm -hmm. your sleep so you know do the best you can um seven is ideal but if you some of the research shows above six is actually also beneficial for people who have heart issues so i would say avoid anything less than six seven out possible but yeah and then i'm you know i'm not a sleep i'm not so rigid in terms of sleep scheduling i think it's definitely beneficial because you know better to wake up and go to bed around half an hour at the same time but if you think of sleep as fuel what do i mean by that if it's a busy work day okay i'm definitely gonna aim for i'm i feel like i need a little bit more sleep eight eight and a half hours i have a lot of meetings i have a lot of patients However, if it's a weekend where, you know, we're just going to go to the market, we're going to hang out at home, we're going to bring the kids to the park, can I stay a little bit late to watch that show and get maybe about seven or a little bit? Yeah, yeah, right? Because, you know, I don't need a full tank <laughs> for the type of activities that requires. So, you know, give yourself some some grace, give yourself a little bit of a break. Um, and no one's a perfect yeah. sleeper 100% of the time, even myself, knowing all the data about sleep. Yeah, I think you're a human first. I think yeah. we're, yeah, I, think I like that yeah, a lot. Definitely. We are human and, and things change, don't they? I mean, the seasons change, the light changes. How do you see your, your I mean, you're now involved with sleep euphoria and sleep life med. Do you see telemedicine and more education in the future? Being a physician sleep? in the US, there's a huge physician shortage in a lot of areas, a lot of states. So, it may take several months to see a sleep practitioner. Um, there are a lot of great podcasts where you can listen to people um, talk about sleep, you know, YouTube channels, books, all about it. So, uh, and I think what it goes back to as well is if you take a look at the medical, medical education for physicians, we really only get two hours or less 
during our whole four years about sleep. And it's something we do a third of our life. So we're really doing people a disservice. <laughs> so get education where you can. Um, if you find someone who is board certified <laughs> in sleep medicine, that's helpful. Typically, though, if they're a medical doctor, they're going to be dealing more with sleep apnea. If you have more concerns for insomnia, you want to find someone who's a um, behavioral yeah. sleep specialist. Typically, there are psychologists, um, psychiatrists, some medical doctors as well, but more yeah. on the psychology realm. Um, and they could definitely help. A good book that I like to recommend is Say Goodnight to Insomnia. It has a great name by Greg Jacobs. Um, yeah, and that's something that I always encourage my patients who have insomnia to start with. It'll give you the fundamentals um, to learn about sleep. And yeah, I would say empower yourself, educate yourself through Sleep Warrior. It's an online women's resource where I write articles all about sleep. I wrote one about brain fog um, and sleep. And this week I'm going to write about walking. And I do do free webinars, mini webinars on YouTube <laughs> about twice a month, just about different sleep topics. Because I feel like women need to know this information, how important sleep is, how when you get older, your sleep can be disrupted, but there is always hope. And the overall message is that a well-rested woman has the energy, clarity, and drive to change the world because, you know, we deserve to live in a better world. That is beautiful. Val, thank you so much. I mean, how can people come uh, yeah. to know more about your My website, with so sleep and then H-O-R-I-A. It's like sleep and then euphoria mixed together. And it's the same on Instagram and the same on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Clarissa. That's fantastic. We're going to put that in the show notes. I'm looking forward to read some of your blogs, especially about things like brain fog. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Val, thank you so much for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and sharing your knowledge. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening. And see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.